Today's episode is sponsored by Feather. Feather provides digital marketing tools and strategies for nonprofits of all shapes and sizes, including the Humane Society of North Central Florida. Stick around for the break to hear how Feather powered their $300 digital ad campaign that raised nearly $6,000 in just one day. Hey, I'm John. And I'm Becky. And this is the We Are For Good podcast. Nonprofits are faced with more challenges to accomplish their missions and the growing pressure to do more, raise more, and be more for the causes that improve our world. We're here to learn with you from some of the best in the industry, bringing the most innovative ideas, inspirational stories, all to create an impact uprising. So welcome to the good community. We're nonprofit professionals, philanthropists, world changers, and rabid fans who are striving to bring a little more goodness into the world. So let's get started. Hey, Becky, full hearts here. Full hearts today. I mean, it would be a gross understatement to say that we are so humbled and honored to have UNICEF in the house today here at Mom's Kitchen Table as we have just what I hope is a really heartwired conversation today. Um, I mean, if you've been in the community for any length of time, our, our company has really leaned into the crisis in Ukraine. And, and really, we're just talking about the humanitarian and refugee crises that are everywhere. I think Ukraine is such a ubiquitous one right now, but we really want to have a big global conversation and we want to get activated. And so we are just really feeling so blessed and lucky today to host Casey Rotter, who is the global lead for UNICEF NextGen. And this is going to be such an incredible conversation talking about how do we activate the next generation of philanthropists and what UNICEF is doing through this next generation program in a very global way. But I want to give everyone a little background. I, I know I probably don't need to introduce UNICEF, but we're, this is just one of these incredible Incredible global organizations working in over 190 countries and territories to save children's lives. I mean, hard stop. And UNICEF is going in and doing this hard on the front lines work to defend the rights of children, help them fulfill their potential. And I mean, it really starts from early childhood all the way through adolescence. And one of the things I love about their mission, um, and that's threaded in all of their messages, so I got to give Anne and Com's team a brilliant just props, is they say, and we never give up. And I really just think that is such a mantra and a heartbeat for nonprofits and the way that we just keep soldiering through the sludge. But I really want you to get to know Casey. Casey is a force for good. She is the founder, global lead for NextGen. And NextGen is this fundraising incubator and a thought leadership platform. And it's, so it's engaging leaders from the ages of 21 to 45. And they're going in and they're just really taking this passion from these kids around the world. And they're funneling it into a way that is really going to power frontline movement. So we're going to have Casey dive into that. I think the thing I love so much about it, it was born out of Casey's graduate school capstone project. So I love the way that you have taken this concept, Casey, and just kind of wrapped your, your life around it. She was a superstar um, over at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, which John and I have actually been there together. Yeah. 
there. Go Badgers. We actually love that (laughs) campus. And yeah, she's just a recipient of New York City's uh, 2020 Distinguished Public Service Award. And I mean, there's a host of other things that she has earned, but we really want to get into this project. So Casey, thanks for being here. Gosh, thanks for UNICEF and all the things you're doing. Becky, thank you so much. And thank you, John, for having me and having UNICEF on here. We truly appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. I just, you know, we've been talking about this for several weeks and just wanting a place where people could feel like they would understand what's going on right now and how they can pour into it. But before we get into that, we want to get to know you, Casey. So can you just tell us a little bit about your story, where you grew up and what led you into this work? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I grew up in Chicago um, and I grew up kind of with UNICEF in a, in a sense. I grew up trick-or-treating for UNICEF, which was, oh, a, cam- which was a campaign that we've it's been uh, the original Kids Helping Kids campaign around Halloween, where you go door to door asking for support for UNICEF with those little orange boxes you might remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and also my family supported UNICEF. So I kind of always knew um, uh, of UNICEF and uh, what their mission was and, and how I wanted to help children around the world. I also then graduated. I went to um, University of Wisconsin-Madison, as you mentioned, and focused on international studies with a focus on African cultures. And um, from there, I went and went to NYU. And so I think we can kind of jump into my thesis a little bit later. But um, I went to NYU to get a master's in nonprofit management. And that was an evening class. And so I started interning at UNICEF during the day. I think I actually applied to every position that was potentially open <laughs> at UNICEF at the time. Man, Casey You're is like, a believer such a stalker. rather than <laughs> this is totally. awesome. I actually got a call from HR that was like, I don't think you're qualified for any of the positions you applied for, but would you like an internship? And I was like, yes, yes. <laughs> thank oh, you. I love that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So um, I've just loved it. And I think um, I personally think we're the best, we're the best at what we do as an organization. And so I'm just um, honored to be a part of an organization doing such work, good work globally. Well, I think, I mean, obviously what an incredible like journey to get in the door, but the next part of your journey is what you've done since you've gotten in the doors, because I feel like the programs that you launched, and we'll give space to that in this conversation today, but tell me what drew you to UNICEF. And in that, could you just paint a picture of the history and mission of this organization? We all know it by name, but tell us the heartbeat of like, what is driving in the day-to-day work? How is it showing up? Absolutely, would love to. So UNICEF is the United Nations Children's Fund. It was established um, after World War II to help children who were displaced by war. We realized that there wasn't a global organization that was focusing just on children specifically. It's been around for 75 years, and it works uh, for the rights and well-being of every child. It's a huge organization doing such good work. It's got 16,000 staff members globally working in conflict-ridden zones, reaching the hardest to reach and in the hardest reach locations to reach every, every child. Thanks to donors and partners, we've also saved more children's lives than any other humanitarian organization in the world. Wow. And then UNICEF USA specifically advances the global mission of UNICEF um, by rallying um, the American public to support the uh, world's children as well. So together, we're working towards um, a world that upholds the rights of all children and helps every child survive and thrive. So I hope that's something we can all get on board with. Right. Oh, my gosh. Who could not rally around that? And it's I mean, just the scope 
of the problems and the the cultural differences and the politics it just seems like such a, a big problem and i and i just love people who are fearless and innovative and they dive toward those projects and i i would love for you to just talk a little bit about your programs and and kind of the scope of your work because when i think about it it just again seems so overwhelming to kind of get your arms around it but you all have done it beautifully and i'd love to hear just how that's accomplished Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, I think it is hard. I mean, when you think about UNICEF, it is so big and it does so much. So I think a lot of times people know that it helps kids and they know we do something good, but I don't know if they always really understand what that is and how that works. And so we work in over 190 countries and territories, uh, providing healthcare, immunization, safe water and sanitation, nutrition, education, emergency relief, and and so much more. So pretty much everything in between. I think I joke, I meet with different supporters all the time. And no matter what someone, I've, I've been with the organization for like 15 years. And no matter what, someone always asks me a question like, what is UNICEF doing in cybersecurity? Or, and I will be like, you know what, I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure something. So I'll get back to you. And <laughs> I end up finding out that we're leading in anti-bullying and, you know, in cybersecurity <laughs> for children. And so um, always, always something new to learn. But I would say, Basically, to get your like head around it, we we're work we're in these countries before, during, and after an emergency, and we work in partnership with the government and by invitation of the government, which helps make our program sustainable and scalable. Um, a lot of people think of us as an emergency relief organization, which we definitely are, but I would actually go to say we're so much more in, in terms of development. And it's funny, I, I think of us as kind of working to go out of business. It would be a dream world if we didn't have to have a UNICEF where it's supporting you know, children, because that means every child would, would be um, surviving and thriving and loved and cared for, and there wouldn't be poverty, there wouldn't be climate uh, change issues and so on and so forth. So but what, in, when you think of us in the emergency situation and setting, uh, we are shipping life-saving, we can ship life-saving supplies almost anywhere in the world within 48 to 72 hours because we have a humanitarian warehouse in Copenhagen, which is actually the largest in the world. And it's wild. I've been there. It's imagine the size of seven soccer fields. Like you kind of imagine like walking into an Amazon warehouse, but knowing that everything around you is life-saving humanitarian supplies. Oh my gosh. Wow. It's really special and like looking around, knowing that that's a tent that will be sent to a refugee camp in some area or, you know, knowing that this refrigerator might be, um, you know, storing life-saving vaccines. And we actually vaccinate half of the world's children annually, um, oh if you gosh. think about the scale and reach. And we're the largest procurer and supplier of, you know, um, ready-to-use therapeutic foods. So it just kind of shows you the scale of our malnutrition work. And so what's really awesome also about that is because we are so big and in so many countries, we're actually able to bring costs down for a lot of these countries for the supplies that they're, happy, uh, that they're using to help children in these countries. So it's a pretty incredible overarching um, program. So I'm happy to dive into any of those with you too. And we can talk a little bit more about Ukraine also, if, that, if that's helpful. But in the US, which is um, a little bit different, if you think about it, in UNICEF USA, we, we also have over about 800 UNICEF clubs um, in more than 40 states, which, which where, where we empower American teens and college students and young professionals to advocate for children's rights and, and raise funds for UNICEF as well. Wow. I mean, the footprint, it's, it's just hard to wrap your mind around, but thank you for painting some of those pictures because I think it does start to put context of what it looks like to really step in as such a vital player in these things that we're all trying to interpret. How can John and Becky and Julie in the middle of Oklahoma, 
you know, help the things that we're seeing that have rolled out. And we do want to talk about Ukraine today because it's captured our hearts. It's captured our, you know, wanting to plug in and find ways. Can't wipe the images out of my head of kids by themselves, you know, leaving the border and kind of in a refugee situation or down in the subway systems, trying to like have life and trying to survive what's happening. What does it look like there right now? What has UNICEF's involvement been and kind of connect us to how can we, you know, actively get involved in that work too, from giving perspective or other ideas? Absolutely. You know, it's, um, it's kind of, it's an unprecedented emergency, which sadly, I feel like I keep on saying, you know, I said that with the COVID-19 pandemic and, um, now, again, in this situation, it's just so rapid and so quick. UNICEF and partners are working 24 hours a day to meet the rapidly escalating humanitarian needs. Um, that can include anything from emergency medical supplies, critical medicines, um, health supplies and, equip- and equipment, safe water and um, drink for drinking and for hygiene, um, shelter and protection for people displaced. So our in-country teams are actually scaling up their health programs, um, which include routine immunizations that children might have missed from back home while they kind of are displaced internally within the country and or fleeing the country. And so, you know, it's sad, but in situations like this, often uh, outbreaks of diseases that we haven't seen for generations come back, um, measles, polio, and so on and so forth. So we have to kind of get ahead of that and, and uh, make sure that we're, children are getting routine vaccinations, even if they're on the move. Um, we're also working with nutritional support and urgent health supplies. Uh, safe water is a big issue. Um, sanitation and hygiene to, you know, to prevent other outbreaks of things that happen during when so many people are in a small setting fleeing. And then um, training partners in infection prevention and control, including COVID-19, which is sad, but some, you know, everyone seems to have forgotten about that while they're focusing on other things. But that's still a huge issue, and especially with a, with a big cohort of people together in small spaces. We've begun a humanitarian cash transfer program, which um, is supporting 52,000 of the most vulnerable families in Ukraine. So actually giving them cash inside the country that they need during this time. And in terms of supplies, it's really been incredible to see what the teams have been able to get into the country and the surrounding region. We've, I think they've just dispatched something like 114 trucks with emergency supplies in the country and the boarding region, which helps over 8 million people inside Ukraine and two of the 2 million of that are children. And so that'll include medicines, vaccines, all the kind of things that I was saying before. But it also includes, we do these kits at times of emergencies, like um, a hygiene kit, which kind of gives you everything you might need in that moment, education kits and early childhood development kits. Think of preschool kids um, fleeing and, you know, kids that are out of school. And uh, this seems to be becoming more of a protracted emergency. So it, you have to kind of also think, how do we get kids back to some sort of normalcy, even in the shelters that they might be in? We'll also be transitioning kind of to more edge access to education through recreational activities and informal learning or um, integration into the systems into the new countries that they might be going into. And one pretty cool interesting way is also what well, we could talk about our blue dot centers, which I don't know if you've heard, but we can um, we can speak to that as well, which is a pretty cool one stop shop for children and families on the move. You know, I just have to compliment you guys because you are listening so well. You you have your finger on the pulse of what is happening on the front line. And I have to just share a personal story because something you said really hit me in the heart. I mean, even with this cash, 
infusion. Um, we know a family in Kiev right now who um, just in all accounts would be a very normal family. You know, if mom, mom works for the government. Um, dad is currently on the front line serving and they sent their three children under the age of 12 to go live with relatives. John, I'm saying this for you as twin dad, there's a set of twins here and they literally ran out of money. And she's not getting paid by the government at all. And they had to send the kids back to Kiev because there was a high risk of trafficking um, with refugees, which I don't, I haven't seen that talked about very much, but it is apparently a very real threat. And so these kids are living in bunkers and they have family members um, here and people that house them during foreign exchange here in Oklahoma that are literally sending them cans of meat and cans of vegetables and cash because they have no money for fuel. They're on a limited water source. I mean, I just think all of us cannot even begin to understand the levels that people are having to climb, to survive, to protect their children. And I just want to thank you so much as that has been so heavy on our heart and and my child is pouring into that cause in her middle school. And I just thank you for listening and doing things that to me may seem a little unorthodox. And for donors who think that that could be maybe a not a good investment, gosh, guys, if you trust your organization, if you believe in the integrity of your organizations and your passion missions, give that unrestricted gift. Let them do what needs to be done because we want them to be able to move quickly when they start to assess these needs. So I just wanted to share that and thank you so much for doing that. Becky, thank you for saying that. I mean, it's so important, especially in times of emergencies where situations are changing at all times to trust an organization and know that you trust them and say, okay, here's my, here's your, here's your donation. Use it where the need is greatest. Cause those, that greatest need changes from day to day in an emergency that's escalating like this. And um, so that's, it's so important to give unrestricted it when you can. And um, I appreciate kind of even just recognizing that. So thank you. I want to talk about um, UNICEF USA Next Gen. You have built something so extraordinary, Casey. We are geeked out about this program. So I want you to talk about this volunteer community. It's got young leaders, creatives, philanthropists. It's sort of in this age demographic. And they're, they've just kind of stepped up and said, I'm dedicated to supporting UNICEF and I'm just going to, I'm here to work for children and I'm here to show up. So tell us about this inception story and tell us what the impact looks right now. Cause you have people all over the world who are involved in this. Yes, thank you. So yeah, I guess my UNICEF Next Gen journey actually started about 15 years ago. Um, I joke I was 10 when it started, but that's not true. (laughs) (laughs) But um, as as we talked about earlier, I was interning at UNICEF USA and writing my graduate school thesis at NYU on how to engage your next generation of supporters. And so I was doing my research. And at the same time, I was noticing that I had friends who were traveling around the world and starting their own social good companies and nonprofits which was wonderful. I'm not I'm not bashing that in any way, but I also personally believe that I think we have too many nonprofits and instead I'd love to see more working together or collaborating. And I think a lot of people start it because they want to start something, which is so wonderful, but like where maybe there's a missing outlet for them to find an organization that was doing good work that they could support in their own unique superpowers of a way. And so as I was also interviewing people, um, I began to realize 
that UNICEF is actually the prime organization for our generation. We're the world's leading humanitarian organization for children. We're tackling the exact issues that our generations are concerned about right now, from mental health to climate change to inequity and so much more. And so I believed then, and I still believe, that if our generation really knew how efficient and innovative UNICEF was and is, it would be the exact type of organization that they would want to join and support. So I did my research, and UNICEF was kind enough to let me interview millennial or Gen X donors um, and supporters who were already uh, within the UNICEF family at the time. And one of those people were Jenna Bush Hager. Um, She had interned with UNICEF. (laughs) <laughs> yes, really special. She was she had actually interned with UNICEF for 11 months in Panama um, and wrote a book about her experience called Anna's Story. And she had just finished that experience. And I was interviewing her just kind of saying, what would you want from an organization like UNICEF? How would you want to be engaged? What would you want to give back? And um, she looked at me and she said, if you do this, in the end, I want to do this with you. I never actually thought of I was handing my research paper to someone. I wasn't actually (laughs) thinking that I was going to do anything tangible with it. And so we both wanted to really create this nexus where the next generations like influence, resources and networks married with UNICEF's reach, expertise and access could actually literally solve some of the world's problems if we join forces together and create change for the future at countrywide scales for generations to come. So with Jenna's kind of um, impetus, I presented my thesis as an opportunity with the organization and then the president and CEO of UNICEF USA at the time let me run with it. She um, had asked me to write my own job description, and then she actually made me apply for it. (laughs) (laughs) This time you were qualified though, right? (laughs) I was qualified. Yes, yes, exactly. And luckily I got the job and um, together we launched our first next gen board, which was 30 30 members uh, at the time. But fast forward 13 years, and now we have an organic global community of creatives, influencers, philanthropists, and leaders who are all working together um, to advance the rights of children worldwide. And as you said at the beginning, we're a fundraising incubator and thought uh, leadership platform with a global board, five boards across the U.S., a pledge program in the U.S. and Vietnam and leadership communities in the U.K., Italy, Thailand, Vietnam, Norway, Ireland, with Germany, Germany and Austria in a research and development phase now. Um, and I'm really excited to share that we've mobilized over $50 million for UNICEF's work worldwide. Supporting an array of projects. Thank you. Yeah. So from from maternal and neonatal health programs in Ethiopia to supporting Syrian refugees to malnutrition programs in the Horn of Africa and and so much more. It's really been remarkable. Our members have added so much and provided such incredible insight to the organization from volunteer consulting opportunities, advising on certain areas of expertise and creating awareness and fundraising campaigns and really just connecting us to powerful networks for good. We have an action member in Congress um, and others who've gone on to start their own businesses and lead global businesses, impact investing firms and family offices. And what's really special is um, they kind of are in a global network, really helps to position investing in unit in children as a non-negotiable and a top priority in business philanthropy and, and development. Hey friends, this episode is presented by Virtuous and they just happen to be one of our favorite companies. Let me tell you why. You know we believe everyone matters, and we've witnessed the greatest philanthropic movements happen when you see and activate donors at every level. And here's the thing, Virtuous created a fundraising platform to help you do just that. It's much more than a nonprofit CRM. Virtuous is committed to helping charities reimagine generosity through responsive fundraising, which is simply putting the donor at the center of fundraising. 
growing giving through personalized donor journeys, and by helping you respond to the needs of every individual. We love it because this approach builds trust and loyalty through personalized engagement. Sound like Virtuous may be a fit for your organization? Learn more today at virtuous.org or follow the link in our show notes. Taking a quick pause from today's episode to thank our sponsor, Slingshot Group. Our friends over at Slingshot Group partner with nonprofits to recruit and hire great leaders, build remarkable teams, and unleash your mission's potential. You know, we talk often about how much your organization's culture matters, especially today, and not just being a place that attracts talent, but also becomes a magnet to connecting donors to your mission. Slingshot Group is the organization we trust to help you do just that. It's so much more than a staffing and executive search firm. Slingshot Group goes deep and gets to know your culture so they can help you find the leaders and staff who will take your mission to the next level. Sound like Slingshot Group might be a fit for your organization? Learn more today at slingshotgroup.org or follow the link in our show notes. What an incubator, Casey. I mean, we're just taking a step back because you were doing this, you know, 15 years ago, like laying the groundwork. And I love that it is thriving now. And even entering this new chapter with this new leadership team from nine different countries, like how cool is this to see the fruition and that you can speak to what happens when you made that conscious shift to invest in younger people that have creative ideas, visionary, you know, take, take this passion and channel it to whatever way that makes sense for you. You were doing that, you know, before I feel like it's of the moment. So, so ahead of your time. What's it, what's it like trying to herd creatives too? I just need to know this because around the world, <laughs> you're going to be really bought into some big ideas because I know there's going to be a lot of ideas coming to the table. What did you learn through that? <laughs> I'm just so curious. Oh, absolutely. Yes, I've learned a lot. I would say, um, you know, I think the more you educate people on what actually is needed from a UNICEF perspective and what, you know, I think we have to, we have to do our, we have to do our homework internally and funneling and educating. And, but once people really understand and get the explanation of what's actually needed, and then we let them go with their, you know, have their creative juices flowing. I think that's the way that we've we've been able to unlock these superpowers in a way that actually is helpful to UNICEF and kind of pulling all these different creative ideas, but it's also pushing the needle. It's getting us to be, to think differently as an organization, to be more innovative, to uh, think of different impact investing vehicles um, and crypto. You know, now we are, we do have UNICEF has the first crypto fund um, as part of the UN. And so it's really, it's, it's really helped us kind of uh, think about the future and jazz it up a little bit, but I've learned a lot about just millennial engagement and philanthropy and how people are want to be engaged by organizations too, which is exciting. And then I'm just studying different cultures now too. Like I'm, I'm learning a lot. I, I was really good. I was focused on the U.S. for my first kind of like 10 years and I get it. I know how to run a board meeting. I know how to do engagement in the U.S. And now I'm, I'm learning a lot in, in, in South, different ways of working with people in South Korea or um, cultures in, in Sweden and Switzerland and Iran and so on and so forth. So for me, it's really exciting. I feel like I'm still learning, but um, there's always a, there's like an underlying way that people do want to be engaged. And I would say it's actually more so poly capitally we talk about now, which is an interesting way where people want to be used. You want to be seen as a whole human, um, as your time, talent, and treasures, not just what do you have to give us in terms of money right now? Um, but what do you have as a whole person in terms of your networks, your influence, um, your your unique uh, 
um, added value that you might want to bring to the table. And of course, your funds and resources and things of that sort as well. So it's been an interesting um, learning lesson and kind of a shift in how we look at look at philanthropy. You guys are so smart. I mean, we we are seeing this after, you know, 250 something episodes on this podcast, we are seeing the rise in the potential of millennials and Gen Zers. And I think you're so wise to think about their involvement in something more than just capital or donations. And I think that's been the thing that has stymied, you know, nonprofit and kept us, you know, kind of from moving forward and accelerating quickly is you can't look at someone just from their donation potential. There is so much potential Mm -hmm. in this digital revolution that we're experiencing. And I just think you're so wise. And to invest in that early on um, is just really forward thinking. And I have to tell you, like our eyebrow quirked up when we saw (laughs) your leadership board because we were connected to you through our good friend, Jody Patkin over at The Skim, who used to work at UNICEF. Hi, Jody. We love you. Um, But I want to talk about this leadership board. And you mentioned two countries that are near and dear to John's and I's hearts. I mean, clearly I love my Italian family and John's lived a year in Thailand and just the global nature of this is really impressive. So talk to us a little bit about those members and the leadership team that you launched from these nine different countries. It's just really fascinating. Thank you. Yeah. So I've been working on this for a while, but um, usually how we've worked is we've created leadership communities within respective regions or countries. So um, I mentioned the other countries that we're in right now, but in January was the first time, um, which is a pretty monumental and special time for me personally in this in this journey for um that we launched an actual global board. So we have nine members representing Colombia, Brazil, Portugal, South Korea, Sweden, UK, Italy, Switzerland, USA, and Iran. Some of them have uh, dual citizenship. So if you're wondering, if I said more than nine, that's why. <laughs> Got it. Um, but it's an invite-only small working group of um, people between the ages of 21 and 45 who have unique influence. And it's a platform that allows our members to use their poly capital, as we discussed, in ways that create val- valuable support for UNICEF at a high level. Next-gen gatekeepers for value-aligned communities and partners. And so they work as a global team to engage and unlock new sources of support for UNICEF. And we do this kind of in two ways, as we talked about, which is the same model as our next-gen community in general, where we talk about being a fundraising incubator and a thought leadership platform internally for UNICEF and externally, where we champion UNICEF's value as a partner to our generation's leaders, um, hoping and aiming to make UNICEF's mission a central value for next-gen leaders, peers, communities, and families. And it's working, which is amazing. Yeah, it's working. It's smart. It's intuitive. It's human. It puts the child at the very front. And so the ego is totally absent. The I feel like, you know, we, we talk about just even the saviorism complex that exists in fundraising. If you release that and you put the kid up at the front or the mission, you're just going to be able to move so much more quickly. I just Thank think it's you. brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And just the diversity of voices. How beautiful is that? So I think we want to transition, you know, about activation. I mean, this amazing program that you've built, how can, you know, the average listener get involved with this work that you're doing? And definitely, I think the model and I, you could turn this into a course of just listening to the mindsets that you had from an organization to engage and how you kind of did this. I think everybody can lean in and learn from how you've organized this. But I'm curious, how can people get activated with UNICEF's work? Um, specifically through your next gen or other programs? 
Thank you. Yes. So there are different ways. I mean, I think it also depends on where you are and what country you're in. But in the U.S., I would say start by joining the UNICEF NextGen Pledge Program. Um, it's uh, a low entry point. It just loops you into our NextGen family and community. And from there, you'll get advocacy actions, ways to um, ways to continue to fundraise, to support. You'll get invited to UNICEF briefings. Um, we've been having a few different briefings with um, our, our staff on the ground in Ukraine, kind of sharing the you know real-time updates. Um, but we do that throughout the year. So the, all the different emergencies that are going on or any different issue that might you, you might be interested, whether it's mental health or um, climate change, we, we host different briefings. So definitely want to educate you. But then we also we talk a lot within UNICEF Next Gen Family as kind of uh, choose your own adventure. We really try to get to know you. And that's when we, we what I was saying before with polycapitally, like I just feel like people don't see philanthropy uh, or in our generations don't really see philanthropy separated out into its own lane anymore. It's totally infused into the whole human and every aspect of your life. And so people are changing their jobs because they care about purpose being a part of their of their, the companies that they work for, or they infuse it if they're running a company, infuse it into there. And so uh, also how they want to raise their families and talk about their families and bring their parents or bring their children in along on the journey. And so we really kind of get to know some of the people and, and decide and, and learn more about how they might want to infuse maybe UNICEF CSR business policies into their own businesses that they might be running. Or just, again, be a sort of evangelist for our cause. Like if you want to go out and speak on behalf of UNICEF, we can equip you with ways to learn and, and to really um, get to understand our work. And so that you can kind of bring us to other avenues that we might not be reaching Teaching, um, through our own means or through our own resources, we have limited capacity as staff, and and so um, I would say just start by joining our pledge program, or even just come and check us out on UNICEF Next Gen on social media um, to just see we we post some different advocacy actions and ways for you to register for briefings from time to time. But join our UNICEF family and community that from there, and then um, there are leadership boards in the U.S. We have five leadership boards in in um, Los Angeles, in the Bay Area, in um, New York, in Atlanta, um, uh, in Chicago, I'm probably blanking on one or two. So there are ways to get even more involved in that way. And then if it is global, um, we'd love to have you as well. I think my job now is to kind of figure out and roll out where we go. And I named some of the countries that we're in. So there's definitely opportunities to plug and play into those specific countries. Um, but we will be hopefully rolling out to additional countries um, once we kind of do a little bit more feasibility studies and make sure that we have the capacity to manage all the creative and wonderful ideas <laughs> and networks that come to us for sure. Um, but yeah, start with next gen in the US if you can. I, I'm just thinking, Casey, like you were ready for this moment that hit with COVID. You were ready for this moment that hit with Ukraine because you've been building on this for 15 years. And I just have to tell you, as someone sitting in the crow's nest, we have seen a tremendous amount of people come into our community in the last year alone who left for profit, had that sort of existential crisis of what am I doing with my life? I want to chase purpose. And we also have a lot of young professionals in here. So if you are someone that's listening to this right now and it has touched your heart, if it has awakened something in you, please go check out Next Gen. We're definitely going to put the links in the show notes. And I, I just think because of what you've done and the inroads that you've created and the forward thinking way that you have built it, 
it's ready for this moment and for people who are wanting to align with causes that are steeped in what's really progressive, what's innovative, how are we getting aid quickly? How are we helping more quickly? And so I just want to compliment you on that. And I hope you'll let me go back to Ukraine just a little bit because it's a little heavy on my heart. And I want you to talk about Ukraine in relation to next gen. How have you witnessed this group of young leaders respond to the crisis in Ukraine and then like to the many ongoing crises that are that UNICEF is tackling and responding to around the world? Can you give us some examples or even a story? Absolutely. I would love to. I've actually been um, absolutely blown away by NextGen's response and activation around Ukraine. I, I thought that I couldn't be more surprised by what people want to do, but I, I really have been with Ukraine specifically. I'd say even just with the global principles, which we launched in January, you know, we launched in January, Ukraine kind of picked up towards the end of, of February. So it's pretty fairly recent. And some of these people are completely new to our organization. And so they came together within a month and they, they decided they wanted to raise enough funding for um, UNICEF's Blue Dot Centers. And I mentioned those briefly before, but they are, are um, we've reinstated Blue Dot Centers along kind of the migratory uh, routes where most people are going through um, from when they're leaving Ukraine. And it's mostly women and children. Um, and then the, it's, they're set up along the, the bordering countries. And um, they're kind of one-stop shops for respite for mothers, um, psychosocial support for children, a place to play, a place to find out where where social services are, um, where you go next, what you're going to do next, vaccination vaccination campaigns, but also as you mentioned, trafficking. That's a huge um, concern of ours right now. So many children are being displaced um, and separated from their families. So this is a really these blue dot centers are great spaces to really um, to do family tracing, to do reunification, um, and register children that are unaccompanied and coming through and hope hopefully find their mothers that are at another or another family member that's at another blue dot location so these are really special places right now and so next gen had just felt fallen in love with this concept and idea and decided they wanted to fund three blue dot centers and raise four hundred fifty thousand dollars and just give it a try within three weeks they had surpassed that goal raised um was able to support three blue dot centers but then they also were able to raise 4.1 million dollars for global emergency response in general next gen is next level It was within like three weeks and it was just wild. It was just incredible. And they did this by personally reaching out to their networks. So educating people on UNICEF's work, um, you know, reaching out to every impact group they are a part of, like Nexus or Young Investors Organizations. Um, They got UNICEF invited to share briefings on the situation in Ukraine to family offices, to anyone kind of that was out there that they could reach out to. And they could just reach out and said, I'm a part of this. I care about this. This is what we're doing. Can I tell you more about it? And so um, they did, they secured their own speaking engagements. Um, they spoke to companies on our behalf um, and even wrote some articles just wherever, uh, whatever outlets they had access to. And they reached out and, and social media. We have some that have done some really incredible um, awareness raising campaigns and, and, and from social media. And I must say, I see this continuously. It's not just for Ukraine, but I see this for things that people are personally passionate about. And we have some members that kind of run with a, a specific project. We have one that has worked, um, is really passionate about street children in India, who've done really wonderful work because she's created something called Project Lion with UNICEF. And it's just been really remarkable to see people 
take what they know and learn from our organization and say, okay, I know how to make unlock support for this and let's work on this together to do it. Um, and specifically with Ukraine, it's just been wild. It's, it's, I guess it's, it's, it's such a complex situation with mostly women and children playing that for some reason, and this is my opinion, like it, I felt like the world realized that the power of an organization like UNICEF is is what who's best equipped to do the most good and have the largest impact and reach during an emergency like this. The support we've seen for Ukraine has just been unparalleled. And I think people are starting to realize like you do need an organization like UNICEF who's on the ground already, who can negotiate humanitarian corridors to get the supplies in, and who really are experts at this and know and are bringing together all the partners on the ground too, which is really wonderful. Like in emergency situations, what I'd say, I know I was earlier talking about how we need to collaborate more, but I actually think on the ground, organizations collaborate beautifully. Um, and so our part, you know, we partner with all the other organizations that are on the ground as well and figure out who's doing what and who should have funds for what and kind of figure out who's leading on child protection, which UNICEF usually is leading on child protection. But we kind of work with others um, to make sure the best work is, is being done by the best organization that's equipped to do it on the ground. And so it's just been it's beautiful to see on the ground in emergency situations, but also just the fact that the world woke up and it's like, yes, let's all come together and support the people of Ukraine and and the and the country's neighboring has been really like I I've just been so inspired. I mean, I love that you shared that and we are like so leaned in because to us like that happened and and I think the headline would be like people pan, band together and raise all these millions of dollars in 2 weeks or whatever it was. But to us the story like tracks back to that you have been steadily building believers of your mission. UNICEF did that for you in your own personal story. Right, and that's what led you yeah. to there. And then you've been cultivating these relationships that people believed in what you're doing for 15 years through Next Gen. And they were ready to be activated. And we got to think in our own missions, who who have we been cultivating that are warm to that? And they're ready to go. They trust you. You have those tentacles. We call them rabid fans. We talk about it in our intro of the podcast. How do we activate these rabid fans that want to be pointed in a direction? And so kudos to y'all for building that. This is the long game. UNICEF what is a great the case study. Game. What a case Thanks. study. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, we want, I mean, we look at it as this is the beginning of your UNICEF journey and we plan to have you as a part of our family for your whole life. And so that's how in our next gen community, that's what we look at. And so it, it's not about short term. Um, it's not about what we can get or money right now. It's about let's talk about our journey and where do you where do you want UNICEF in your impact journey? And we hope to be there forever or until UNICEF can go out until you can help us get UNICEF to go out of business because we're taking care of every child. I, I just think for anyone out there who's looking at your donor data and saying, oh, we really need to target that top 1%, that you know, 50 to 70-year-old. No, here is an example of a really smart strategy of looking maybe as low as 21 years old who can be activated to raise $4.1 million in three weeks because they believe so deeply in the mission. And I just have to tell you, thank you for talking about that reunification process because I have to tell you, everyone knows in our little community how much I love Reddit. And <laughs> I have been heartsick watching the Ukraine subreddit come out. And there are photos, people, uh, and I'm going to get choked up as a mom. There are photos out there of children who have their names and their parents' phone numbers written in pen on their back. And parents are sending kids 
to borders. And I just, I've been thinking about that in my head over and over. And I've been thinking about, would I take my two daughters that are eight and 11 and write my phone number and my email on the back and send them up to Canada? Like I, I can't fathom it. And the fact that you took that piece and poured into it tells me I'm about to go make a, a gift to UNICEF Ukraine right now because I, I am very passionate about that. And I'm so glad that there is a solution for it. So I just want to thank you for that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, I think we hear that from our colleagues all the time, the, the situations and things that they're seeing on the ground are, are things are unfathomable. There are things that we, we wish on no child and no mother um, and no family. But we're lucky that there are organizations that are on the ground that are looking out for these children and, and doing what we can to get them back into some sort of family and finding and reunifying them. And honestly, I think I, I encourage everyone to go check out more about the Blue Dot Centers because I think they're just, it's an incredible model and it's doing so much good right now. Well, we believe in the power of philanthropy. We've seen it in our personal life, how it transforms us as the givers sometimes and sometimes the receivers of the impact. Is there a story you would lift that's really moved your heart in your journey? Um, could it be through UNICEF or it could be something else completely? Like we're just kind of all ears. I'm sure I have many UNICEF stories, but I think I, for some reason, the first thing that came to mind when you said that was more so just like a philanthropy, like why I care about philanthropy in general. And I think that takes me back to my NYU nonprofit management days. The head of my program was the legendary Naomi Levine. I don't know if you guys have heard of her, but she raised, she's no longer with us, unfortunately, but she raised um, $2.2 billion for NYU. Oh my gosh. And she's just a powerhouse woman. And I remember I wasn't sure originally if I wanted to go into fundraising or I was thinking of international law or nonprofit law. But during the interview, there was a new program at NYU, um, a master's program. And during the interview, she she convinced me of the power of fundraising by asking me to imagine what New York City would look like with no museums, no theaters, no Central Park. And she kind of just like painted this picture and she opened me up to the power of fundraising. She was like, there was a fundraiser behind each and every one of those. And I know some people have fear of asking for money or feel weird about it or this or that. And it just totally changed my perspective on what philanthropy and fundraising is and does. And I just wanted to be a part of that ecosystem and learn from her. And um, I know that I'll never, I'll just never forget that moment. And I truly and wholeheartedly believe in the power of fundraising and philanthropy to do so much good. So when I think mm -hmm. of that, like aha moment for me, it's usually, it's usually that. Oh, I mean, to get power. to spend time under a legend like that, that just oh, the world differently has to And, and who moves. just puts it, you know, in such simple terms and, and the challenge is so great. I love that you're kind of picking up the torch of her legacy and continuing on in your own way. So Casey, we end all of our conversations by asking our guests for a one good thing. What's a piece of advice, a habit, maybe something philosophical that you want to leave with our community today? That's so nice. Such a special um, tradition. I'd say, um, of course, my brain has a few things now. I'd say <laughs> one good thing. How about three? A few good things. <laughs> a, few, a few good things. New tradition with Casey. <laughs> I, I remember I once had a colleague that told me to assume the best, um, which is something I always try to do, uh, especially now working remotely. It's just kind of assuming the best in people. And I'd say more apropos to kind of my work is a quote from Audrey Hepburn, who was a UNICEF goodwill ambassador. Uh, she actually has two quotes that are always in my brain. Um, one, she said, um, nothing is impossible. The word itself says I'm possible. And then she also said, as you grow older, 
you'll discover that you have two hands. One is for helping yourself and the other is for helping others. And I think I fully, um, I believe in that and I live by that. And I think Next Gen and and our UNICEF supporters really embody that as well. The queen of classy with like the most brilliant little nuggets of wisdom. Love that. So good. I mean, okay. How can people connect with you, Casey? I have loved this conversation. I've grown in so much respect and understanding of just the work at such a bigger context that UNICEF does. How can people get connected to you and to the work that's happening? Join NextGen would be my number one thing to say. Um, you can go to UNICEF NextGen on Instagram if you want to kind of check it out and scope us out and, and see where to join. Um, that's a great place to start to connect with me, to connect with our community, um, and also just kind of see the lay of the land and the different countries and the different ways that you can get involved. Um, because from there, kind of, we, we, we push out any advocacy actions. Um, you can connect with us and tell us more specific ways that you might want to get involved or specific programs you might want to learn more about. So I'd say that's like probably simplest and easiest way to start. I'm also on Instagram. You can searchable. I am private, but, um, would love to still connect. And my name is, and, searchable under Casey Rotter too. So more than happy to, to speak with people from there um, and go from there. Casey with a C and we will drop those links into our show notes and just gosh, keep going, Casey, we are rooting for you. And if there are any ways that we can help amplify or uplift what you're doing, we are here for that. And so is this community. Oh, thank you so much, Becky and John. Just thank you for having me and providing this outlet for us to speak about UNICEF. We're really grateful. And I know my colleagues in Ukraine are, are truly grateful too and grateful for all the listeners and just the global community that kind of is stepping up and, and thinking about children right now. So we're just really, really, really thankful and um, just really honored to have the opportunity. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. Today's episode was brought to you by our good friends at Auth0. With Auth0, your nonprofit can do more with a login box. Greet prospects and rabid fans of your mission with authenticity. Simply make it easier for your team to manage data. There's so much that Auth0 login experience can do. Visit auth0.org for more info. If you enjoyed this episode, we know you'll love being part of the We Are For Good community. It's like our own social network where you can find like-minded friends, ask questions, share resources, and find inspiration anytime. Sign up today at weareforgood.com backslash hello. Thanks, friends. Rabbit fans have always powered the We Are For Good podcast, but now Rabbit fans can get even more goodness and access by joining Good Friends. It's our listener support community for the We Are For Good podcast. Good Friends comes with perks, exclusive episodes with John and I, including The Good Brief, our new monthly cliff notes of the greatest takeaways and lessons learned from that month, and exclusive AMA episodes where we answer your burning questions and tap our community of experts. Join now or learn more at weareforgood.com backslash friends. We can't wait to see you inside. That's weareforgood.com slash friends.